Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Mecca Don, here with my co-host, V. What's going on, Mamba Mentality for Life? Today is March 5th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. On today's show, we will talk to NFL Community Relations Manager, Christina Hovestat, about the importance of community relations at the NFL, athletes being more than athletes, social justice, and more. Can be a good one. We'll do some combine talk with Zach Smith, and we'll also do some news and notes of popular sports, music, and pop culture stories from around the country from Tony Romo getting paid, Megan the Stallion contract issues, Ohio State continuing to dominate Michigan, <laughs> Trouble in Paradise with Public Enemy, and more. Today's show was brought to you by Sacred Sun Topicals, which makes the highest quality all-natural CBD topicals with a proprietary blend and proven results. Products such as soap, body oil, bubble bath, and now muscle rub with warming and cooling effects are available. Get your shoulders right. That's right. Great for sore muscles, aches, pains, to shorten recovery time, and more. Visit www.sacredsuntopicals.com for more information and use our code PB10 for 10% off anything on that site. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember now that our $5 and up Patreon subscribers will get our nights. Huh, get our nights. Get our episodes a night early. That's Wednesdays. These donations help keep our show going. If you want to help keep us on air, you can donate on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. Thanks to everyone who's donating. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Our next guest is the community relations manager for the National Football League, the NFL, managing a number of things from the Walter Payton Man of the Year events to events for the Super Bowl. She also has an extensive history in philanthropy and nonprofits. Please welcome Christina Hovestat to the show. Hey, Christina. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm great. Here at the league office, it's uh, really cold outside in New York. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, uh, you know, you work at the NFL. That's NFL is one of the hottest, uh, most talked about brands, not only nationally, but internationally for a multitude of reasons. But also you have a very kind of important job there, uh, you know, as a community relations manager. Before we jump into the interview a little bit, I just wanted to get hear from you kind of what does that mean? What does it mean to be a community relations manager for the National Football League? Yeah, for sure. Um, so as a community relations manager, um, essentially we do a lot, as a lot of people do, but um, I work with all 32 clubs um, and making sure that from a league standpoint that our initiatives are being implemented into all 32 teams. So every single team gives back in their own ways. They obviously have their ownership, they have their players, their teams that are interested to give back in certain areas of philanthropy. Um, but from a league level, all 32 have Crucial Catch, Play 60, Salute to Service, and Man of the Year um, that's kind of threaded in their programming throughout the year. So work with the 32 clubs and just making sure that uh, from a league level that they're implementing the initiatives that we have here as well. So that, that's, that's amazing. I mean, it, it's got, I, got, I have to imagine that, you know, 
obviously the NFL, when people think of the NFL, they just think of, you know, this one entity. But the way you just broke it down, it's it's clear that it's not just one entity. There are 32 different entities within the NFL that you have to work with. How hard is that to kind of coordinate amongst 32 different entities to make sure that you guys are all on the same page? Yeah, definitely. So um, it is it is interesting. You have to be really organized in your email threads. Um, so I have different boxes for each of my teams, <laughs> right. but uh, yeah, it's it's right. really. It's, Are they color coordinated? <laughs> no, I can't even I can't even keep up with that. I'm not gonna lie. Administration <laughs> right. is not one right. of my gifts, but um, building relationships gotcha. is, and it, it helps when you work in community relations. So, so. sounds like sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, probably shouldn't admit yeah, that, so, but it's fine. So. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's awesome. So what um uh, what are some of the challenges I guess you could say um with kind of this beyond what we just said, you know, the administration of it. What are some challenges of trying to kind of get everybody to be on the same page and implement some of these policies across the board? Um I think buy-in is the biggest thing. I mean, I think you know, for the most part all 32 clubs uh love giving back. I think there's a lot of opportunities that come to us at a league level every single day and to all of our clubs. There are a lot of needs. Um, there are a lot of requests that need to be met, um, but it's just not possible. If you want to do something with excellence, I found that you really have to have a greater yes with your clubs or whatever your goal is in that in that season. So I think saying no is really the hardest part for all of us that work in community relations because we obviously all share a common thread and heart of wanting to give back and to do good. So I would say that's kind of our biggest weakness would be uh, it hurts to say no when you see a need. But, you know, if you want to do things the right way, you have to kind of streamline your efforts to make sure it's done with excellence. And it seems like there would be a lot of responsibility as well, right, with the NFL being as big of an entity as it is. As much media attention as as there is to make sure things are done right um, and all the I's and T's are, are crossed, right, so that you can, one, execute an event, make sure you have good partners and make sure that it's not impacting the NFL brand in any sort of a negative way as well, right? Absolutely. And I would say um, we are really diligent and we're very clear in saying that we're not in the experts of all the spaces that we reach. So an example is um, our nonprofit partner in the cancer space is the American Cancer Society. They are our go-tos. I work with them every single day from a national level to get their ex you know, expertise on on can on the cancer space and what the needs are. So we really try to do that is just working with um, great brands and great organizations that have the heart to give back, and we rely on them to to teach us and educate us in those spaces that we actually, you know, we're not able to physically be in the field with the kids every single day. We're not able to actually do the work necessarily, but we love funding the work and drawing awareness to those causes. So. Um, definitely is important to to team up with like-minded and like-hearted individuals and organizations. Right. And why do you think uh, community relations is important to the NFL? You know, I, you know, on on the surface, the NFL is just an organization that you know promotes you know high quality football. But it seems that there's you know there's there's a much deeper thing here. So I'm curious to your perspective on that. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it really is so much more than a game. And it sounds cliche, but I always say that when you hear things over and over, you know, all of these beyond the game, you know, um, outside the lines, that sort of thing. Uh, anything that you hear that's cliche or repeated over and over again is is probably important at the end of the day. And it, it truly I truly believe that, you know, from a business standpoint, obviously, it helps the brand doing good in the community, making sure that we're utilizing 
the funds that we've been given and, and the and the money that we make for greater purposes than just business ventures. Um, that's obviously important, but I think also just with this next generation and how how driven they are from a millennial standpoint and Gen Z to just make change. And not only do they have ideas, but they actually execute them and they put their money where the mouth is. You know, I just think that's the trend of where we're going today. So um, I, I, it's definitely important and it's it's so worth it. And everybody sees it from our fans to the staff, to the players that are out there helping in communities. It's really cool to see the end result of people coming together for a common purpose. And one of the areas that you're specifically responsible for is the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. As fans, yes. we hear a lot about it, and we've we've have some knowledge about the award. It seems like it's it's one of my favorite things about the NFL is that it it recognizes individual athletes on individual teams um, for their work in the community, and it it gives a unique recognition to that aspect outside of just what they're doing on the field to create an award like this, and also. In the, in the spirit of Walter Payton, could you just give us some, some information about how that came together and why that's so important to the NFL as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Walter Payton, NFL Man of the Year, is actually one of my most favorite things to work on day in and day out. I used to work a lot with players from a philanthropy and nonprofit side prior to the NFL. And so it's really cool to see how the teams and the players for each of the 32 teams come together and they nominate one player that they think is outstanding and excellent on the field, but also off. And what's really cool is we've actually um, made the award bigger in recent years, and we've been able to bring all 32 nominees, including the two guys that are playing in the Super Bowl during Super Bowl week, and have multiple events throughout the week to highlight um, what they're doing in the community and why it's important and drawing awareness to their cause. So in turn, they can raise funds for the cause and in turn have more impact. So it's been really, really cool to see how this award is continuing to grow each year. We actually used to have three finalists um, up until 2017. We had three finalists, and then we would bring those three to Super Bowl and highlight their work. However, we quickly realized that this is an opportunity for all 32 who are doing amazing work to be highlighted, to go on media tours throughout Super Bowl. Why not give them this opportunity? Because they've obviously earned it. So like you said, it's definitely in the spirit of Walter Payton. He is amazing. His family um, and his son and his daughter and his wife are so involved. They're out there in the field uh, during Super Bowl week with the kids and the Man of the Year nominees and participating and volunteering right alongside with them. So it's just really cool because that award specifically feels feels very family oriented on all fronts. And at the end of the day, that's what community is, is bringing people together. So I love that award. Um it really is like yeah. one of my favorite to run. So I'm glad you asked about it. It's really, really cool. Yeah. And, and speaking of the athletes, right, The especially you said, you know, it's not just about what they do on the field, but what they do off the field. Uh, one of the questions I, that I have for you is your thoughts on kind of athlete advocacy when it comes to either social or political issues. You know, you hear a lot of, you know, commentators or people saying, you know, shut up and dribble or, you know, that they don't want to hear from, from the athletes. What are your thoughts on athlete advocacy? Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, I'm a former collegiate athlete. I've been, I coached and I taught for, for seven years in, in schools. And like I said, working with professional athletes before this, I think if you have a cause that has been put in your heart that you feel strongly about and you have convictions and you've also been given a platform to have more influence and to reach more, then I, it's bad to me if you don't use it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I am not you know, shut up and dribble. It, it fires me up when I see stuff like that, to be honest, because mm -hmm. uh, it, 
they've worked so hard to get to this position. Why not be able to use your voice for things that matter? And so I'm all for it. And I will do anything in my power while I'm on this platform that I have and beyond until the day I die to help to equip these athletes to do just that. And I think at the end of the day, if your heart's in the right place, it's all going to work out. And um, a lot of the times when you're being disruptive, whether you're an athlete or just anyone that has any kind of platform in any area, even if you're you know, working in a cube from a nine to five or you're an assistant and you're using your platform or your voice um, to help in other causes, anytime you make a disruption of any sort, that usually means that you're on the right track right. in some way. Um, cause a lot of people are too scared to take that step and don't have the courage to actually use their voice for things that matter because they want to blend in with this world. And as you can hear in my voice, I'm fired up about it. I'm glad you asked about that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it fires us up too. You it meant, fires us up too. And you mentioned passion and I wanted to touch on that. I think people who are involved in spaces like community relations, that's what it takes to be successful is to be passionate. Could you just give us a little bit of information on how you got into this field and why it's so important for you as a career path. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, uh, I'll give you the short version, but I grew up in a sports family. I played, I was actually a swimmer growing up my entire life and then ended up playing volleyball in college. My dad played football at Troy State. Mom played basketball, sister played volleyball. Um, So I've just always, sports has been ingrained in my life and also giving back. I saw that modeled from from my parents when I was young. And so, but this wasn't actually my career goal. My goal was never to say, I want to work at the NFL. Um, It was just to be, and I am a woman of faith where God had placed me um, and be faithful in that. And so I actually ended up going to school to study sports broadcasting, worked in the news industry for a few years, quickly realized when I pick up a side uh, job coaching high school volleyball, the impact that one person could have as a coach. So I was like, well, shoot, if I could have this impact as a coach, I need to become a teacher. So I became a teacher. And then that um, that's when Rashad Jennings, who has been a friend for a while, said, I see what you're doing in the classroom. I want you to run the foundation. Then the NFL said, I see what you're doing at the foundation. I want you to work in community relations. So my biggest thing with that is, you know, even to young people, if young people are listening, your story, it's just constantly unfolding. And as long as you're faithful where you are and you have the pure motives of where you are, whether it's one person or a million people, you can be trusted with more when you handle the little with uh, with diligence and intention. So it just kind of unfolded, to be honest. And I just try to do well where I am in the season that I'm in. You know, you know that first of all, that's that's great, and I think that's great advice. You know, one of the things we obviously like to do on this show is to spotlight some of these powerful stories and and tell people how people got there. And the, the one thing that you that you always hear constantly is the same thing, which is passion, right? The passion to do whatever it is or to impact the world, which you clearly have. And one thing that I think is also impactful is your position as a woman in the NFL. And I wanted to get a little bit of perspective from you on that. How, how does it, you know, do you feel a responsibility um, that's greater than just a natural responsibility that you feel because you're a woman and you're, you know, this is a predominantly male um, league and and association, you know, how does, how does that play in? How does that play into kind of your day to day? as you're uh, moving through this job? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. I um, I always said the last 10 or so years that whenever I'm given any kind of platform, I want to reach back to the next generation. And now that I'm working in sports, that passion to reach back to the next generation of women in sport has been firing me up the last couple of years particularly mm-hmm. because there are driven and passionate women that are looking to break into the industry that don't really have the resources, but they're taking the courageous steps to just reach reach out and ask. 
And so I do consider it a huge responsibility. I'm actually was just talking to a colleague, Megan, earlier this morning, and I was telling her that um, there's a ton of people that reached out on, on LinkedIn every single day and asked how I got to where I am today. So we're starting this Zoom call with over 300 women in sport Love and it. doing a call once a month to just reach back. But I will also say, and I'll be honest, you know, and I don't know how far I should go into this, but there's a lot of um, man shaming in, in my opinion, um, because it's more of a feminist movement, I feel like these days. And it's when people do that, in my opinion, it kind of shames men and says, you know, we're women, let's, you know, let's rise up. But the men that we have in our building and the men that I know in the industry, for the most part, the majority are so willing to strengthen, to collaborate with women. And honestly, I just want to give out a, sh a shout out to the men too, because we need we need men and women to do great things. I don't think I know that it's not one or the other. Um, so it's really cool just to even see a lot of my my male colleagues that are also in that mission to to drive women forward in sport and really any industry that they're in. That's a great point. Yeah. So so what would you what advice would you give then to to the next generation? I know you have other things that you're working on, and maybe this is a a, a point in the conversation where you can touch on that. But what advice would you give to the next generation, younger people, younger women, younger minorities, or any any person in general that wants to do what you're doing? Uh, what would what what advice would you give them? Yeah, um, I would see say be faithful where you are. Don't be discouraged. A lot of the times, there's this misconception that even now, no matter what age you are, that you're supposed to have everything figured out. That you should be further along than where you currently are. And you're actually exactly where you're supposed to be. And we don't have to always worry about what's next. Like on a football field, for instance, a running back has to go one yard before he can get into the end zone. So it's all a matter of taking those short steps. And I was actually having a conversation with a college student the other day. And she was telling me, like, I just feel like I'm taking all these steps and I feel like a failure if it doesn't work out. Or um, I just I feel like a failure if I have all these ideas, but I can't follow through that sort of thing. But in reality, when you look back on your life, I would tell the younger generation, and I tell myself this all the time, is you should be proud for just starting something yes. because the majority of people that want to go somewhere don't even mm -hmm. start. And you can't get into that end zone until you start running. That's, that's, so just take steps. Yeah. And if they fall through, I'd, I'd rather be known for someone who took the steps than sat here and daydreamed about it. All that's day. a great point. And I, I was you actually know? reading a book the other day that was saying how failure is really just something that's a figment of your imagination that really doesn't become real until you actually accept it as real. And the reality is a lot of these things that we perceive to be quote unquote failures are really just hurdles or steps or lessons that are teaching us what we need to know to get to what our ultimate goal is. So I think that's that's tremendous advice. I have one more question I want to ask you more substantive before we get to something fun with you and then we'll get you out of here. Um, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but I want to get a little bit more into it. And it's about the NFL's kind of responsibility in the social justice movement. Right. Because now, you know, obviously with all of these issues, you know, ranging from Kaepernick to Jay-Z to all of these things that are involved around the NFL. What do you feel like is the NFL's responsibility in social justice? Because it seems, though, and this question I would ask to almost anybody in a Fortune 500 company, not just the NFL. You know, you guys are in the business of making money. You guys are in the business of putting out your product. But again, there are these tangential issues that are, you know, that are happening that some of the, your, your players and people are passionate about. So how do you balance those type of things? And, and what do you feel like is the NFL's responsibility there? From a personal standpoint and from the NFL, um, when there is a need that needs to be met that's affecting our players, our coaches, our fans, and the people a part of the NFL family and beyond, 
it is our responsibility to do what we can. Again, relying on the experts in those spaces and not considering ourselves an expert in all of the spaces of the needs that we need that need to be met. I know that our athletes agree with that as well. Again, I've worked with hundreds of them over the years, and a, the majority of them really do have the heart in the social justice space. And I actually, I won't get too much into it now, um, but there's so many different areas of social justice. Mm-hmm. And as a former high school teacher at an inner city school with students that couldn't read to pass a state standardized assessment, I had a student that um, I mentored all the time and he ended up going to a house party and he was actually shot and killed there. And, and it kills me to this day and I'm tearing up as I speak because I know that a lot of our players have experienced similar situations. And from Christina's standpoint, I'm doing everything in my power to continue to be able to help bring those ideas to life and bring the realness of what's going on into this world into the office, just as I know a lot of my colleagues are doing and making sure that change happens and we use what we can be given. And like I said, we are not the experts in this space all the Mm -hmm. time, but I do like that experience I just shared. We do have a lot of ties in this office of people that understand and people that can relate um, and things that hit very close to home. And so it is cool to see this turn and, and to be able to work on, on causes that are so important to my heart and those that are in this building. You guys have an incredibly powerful platform, one of the most powerful in America. So anything that you, that the organization does to impact these causes is beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Okay. So, Oh, well, that was a little heavy. Sorry. We weren't trying to, uh, make you cry, but that, that was very, very powerful. I think, um, you know, a lot of times these issues are very confusing to the public, right? Because they don't know who, you know, a lot of times you're only hearing sound bites. You don't know who's saying what, who thinks what. And and one person doesn't represent the whole organization, that type of thing. So it was important. What you just said, I think, was very, very good and very concise. We're going to switch gears a little bit before we get you out of here to something a little bit more lighthearted, something a little bit more fun. Uh, I actually didn't prepare you for yeah. these questions, but I think you'll do just fine. I know I'm a little nervous. <laughs> don't worry. They're not, they're worry. not that. They're not that. Don't worry. So it's one thing we like to do on the show with all of our guests before we get out of here. It, I think it just gives us a little bit more insight into who they are. So we have two top well, five lists that we like to get. Okay. Um, the first one is your top five musicians of all time. Um, people that. Oh my. Yeah. Goodness. So people that impact. <laughs> I'm going to keep talking for a second so you could be thinking about it while I'm talking. People that impact you. Um, people that have impact impact on your life either now or even at some point, you know, while you're growing up. Um, and it doesn't have to be any specific genre, but let's start there. Your top five musicians. That's enough time. I gave you enough time to think about it. <laughs> my Yeah, right. Oh my gosh. First of all, top five musicians. I love music. Yeah. Like music is my number one. I can't even, and you're probably going to hate my, like, I, I just, I love everybody. Like, honestly, I can those are the best list. Yeah. Those are the best list. Yeah. That's all oh my gosh, this is so exciting, and I don't know what to say. Um, okay, so I would say there. I guess recently, I'll start recently. Uh, this is this is a worship, our Maverick City Music. Okay. There, you know, a lot of people haven't heard of them, but they've really their words and their lyrics have really touched my life in the last couple of years, especially with moving to New York. Our producer's nodding, um, nodding over here. So, I, so you know, we, we, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he, he knows. Um, I would say. Anything gospel, mm. to be honest, I don't have one. Um, <laughs> this is going to sound corny. Justin Bieber, right. love him, corny. love the Purpose album, love the New Changes album. Right. Um, I would say, <laughs> this is so, <laughs> Rick Ross. Rick Ross, the boss. 
every day. I'm hustling. Maybe hustling. Yes. I don't Rick know. Rick Ross is nice, man. That, that I mean, you're a boss, so yeah. bosses have to listen I, to Rick Ross. If you have Justin Bieber and Rick Ross on your same list, you really have a real diversity of taste. I love it. And faith and gospel. Oh this is crazy. This is a beautiful list. This is perfect. This is exactly <laughs> what we want. Listen, Rick Ross is... Um, yeah, he reminds me of like college volleyball, huh. <laughs> like warming up. Nothing can stop me. Kind right. Of thing. Um, who else do I like? How many more one do more, I have two, left? One, one or more, two? One, more. two. One or two. Okay. To the magic, um, to the gospel. She had Justin Bieber and then she had Rick Ross. <laughs> Gospel's That's like a category. <laughs> That's yeah. a category. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Let me try to speed this up because I need to think of this. Um, I would say, who's my next favorite artist? Usher. Okay. okay. Usher. Usher's an all-time yeah. legend. All like oh, we love Come Usher. No, Usher's an all-timer. <laughs> he's he grew up on Usher. He's he's been going since sixteen, so yeah. we've he's grown with us. Oh, and and Tamia, that "Into You" song, I will never stop listening yeah. to it ever. Yeah. No, that's that's a that's an amazing song. Okay, that's a good list. First of all, that's I love things with soul and meaning. Okay, like intentions. Yes. Outside of Rick Ross. <laughs> Rick Ross has he has intention. He has intention. <laughs> he has purpose. Sometimes, has purpose. Sometimes Rick Ross Port, is all, Port of Miami. Sometimes his language is a little tough. But, but he's a motivator, though. He motivates people, and he makes people feel like they want to be a boss. That's that's definitely intention. It might not be that you, He's yeah. like, yeah. He's like the E.T. Thomas of... Of hip-hop. Right. Music. Okay. All right, one more question. V's, V's got one more question well, for you. Well, since you're an athlete, this one, should be, this one should be good for you, too. Your top five athletes of all time. Ooh, Kobe, mm. favorite. And I wouldn't just say that because he just passed away. His uh, mama mentality, everything that, that, he's, that he was doing, and yet purposeful, mm. legendary. Um, Carrie Walsh Jennings for volleyball. Mm. Um, football, I'm going to say Walter Payton because mm. obviously got to get to know a lot about his life in the last few years. Yeah. Also, again, sounds you know, whatever, but LeBron, just seeing all the stuff that he's doing with I Promise School sure. um, and his story and where he come came from is amazing. Yep. Uh, who would be my fifth? I'm trying to think of another sport outside of football. Tennis. Tennis. Ah, I gave it to you. That was my alley <laughs> just in case. Yeah. <laughs> listen, yeah. listen. I knew she was going to be on there. Uh, yeah. Serena's on there for sure. I should probably think of some more female athletes, but that's no, fine. These that's a good out. list. Well, one last question before we get you out of here. First of all, that, that this interview has, has been very um, informative for us and also fun. Actually, you've taken us through a roller coaster of emotions, honestly, through this interview. But it, no, Sorry. it's been amazing. It's been amazing. <laughs> but I know you also have other endeavors outside um, that you're working on, you know, in the community that I wanted to give you a chance to kind of shed a little bit of light on and tell us about as well before you get out of here. Yeah, that's really kind. Um, so outside of the NFL, I have a podcast. It's called The Set Apart Women, and it's uh, it's faith-based, but it also is just something to encourage women um, to live purposeful and meaningful lives. I'm writing a book right yes. now. Um, it's, called o- <laughs> it's called Okay, Now What? Um, and How to Find Purpose and Direction When You Don't Know Where to Start. So that's all geared to 18 to 24-year-olds who just feel lost and frustrated and confused. So those are my main projects outside of um, outside of women empowerment and that Zoom call that I was telling you about. MJ Acosta, who works for NFL Network, we actually started something at Super Bowl this week called a seat at the table. Or this week, oh my gosh, I'm on Super Bowl time. A couple weeks ago, and um, and during Super Bowl week, we had women in sport come together. But then we contacted area colleges and universities to uh, ask to bring women that want to break into sports 
at the table and they normally wouldn't have a chance to do that based on their circumstance or situation or whatever it might be. So kind of have my hands in a lot of different projects and still helping out with Rashad Jennings Foundation, uh, who went dancing with the stars and, and was in the NFL for eight yeah. years. So a lot going on, but I stay busy. I love it. And it's all with purposeful intention and legacy minded at the end of the day. I love it. This, this is, this is amazing. And when, when that book comes out, make sure you come back on the podcast um, and everybody check out Christina Hovestat, uh on Instagram is Christ, uh, Coach Christina, excuse me. And then on Twitter, it's Christina's Buzz. Christina, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Keep up the good work. Have Thank a good you. rest Have of the day. Have a good day. We'll talk to you later. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash pilot boys podcast show us some love today you're listening to the pilot boys podcast episode 17 v let's hit some news and notes you ready let's go tony romo and cbs reached a new deal he is going to stop now start making 17 million dollars a year now i have a couple thoughts on it one is you know, I think, first of all, I think he's brilliant as an analyst, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if you listen to him, you realize that he's different from pretty much anyone else that you've outside ever heard of, before. Outside of Collinsworth, it's him and Collinsworth are the two best analysts. And he's not even, Collinsworth is a little more annoying than him. Yeah, he is. But <laughs> but he's good. But he's making $17 million a year, and it just shows you a couple things. One, how much money is, you know, in and around football, right? And even the, the sport of football. And in fact, some players actually took issue with it, Mike Thomas being included. Um, saying that no player that he's making more than like ninety percent of the players. How do you feel about the deal, and then how do you feel about it in that larger context? Well, I mean, there there are two things: what's what's socially right and what's supposed to be right, right, and then what's right within a market that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, the CBS television deal with the NFL is over a billion dollars. Yep. So if their number one draw is making seventeen million. It's a very worthwhile investment for them because losing Tony Romo to Monday Night Football could impact that billion dollar investment. Right. Right. Um, and then being the best, what do you pay the best? Yeah. You know, there's there's these TV deals, the advertising money, there's so much money involved. When you see the number, you're like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. But there are also a lot of analysts that they have that are making a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. two hundred thousand. So it just comes down to what you pay the best at their profession and what's fair. And always you have to look at what is the money that's available and what's the size of the market when you make business decisions like that. So from that context, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, and I, and I agree with you, right. From the, actually the way the market is set up, you know, it's kind of like, what are people willing to pay you? You know, at the end of the day, I can't be mad at Tony Romo for that. But it does show, again, how much money is in, a, in a round football uh, and how big of kind of a, how big of a sport it is and how, how big these deals are. And it's it's the other thing is it shows how competitive the landscape is. The reason Tony Romo got paid like this is because of how terrible Monday Night Football was this past week. Right. And ESPN this and ABC year. this past year. Yeah. And they were making a big play for him. So that helped him. Get leverage over CBS. Too. Right. All right. Let's talk some coronavirus, man. I mean, I again, we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, and we've gotten a little bit more in depth. I think there's something funny, like 38 percent of Americans won't drink Corona <laughs> now because they, of the coronavirus, which is just it's crazy. But it, it, it shows you what 
hysteria can do, right, and what panic can do. And it also shows you how, I mean, I hate to say this, but how ignorant a lot of people are when it comes to a lot of these issues. A lot of times they just read headlines um, and they don't really do any investigation. And then also there's been a poor job, and you and I talked about this before, from the media of kind of educating people on this. Um, but the bigger effect of that, particularly for us and, and, and locally in Ohio, the Arnold Classic, which is essentially supposed to begin today um, and throughout the weekend, is now had you know parts of it being canceled and not really open to the public. And that's going to have devastating effects for a lot of businesses locally. Yeah, it's one of the biggest economic drivers um, event-wise for the city of Columbus. I think they said over 200-some thousand people um, come into town for it. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's more that's, than that, yeah. That's that's. That's crazy. Right? Well, the thing is, is, and this is what I was saying, you know, I kind of said this on Twitter. And also, we, we, we might see the same type of thing happen with the Olympics. Because at the end of the day, part of the problem with this is that it's still new. And there isn't necessarily a, vac- a vaccine or a cure for it yet. And so a lot of this now is, is coming down to monitoring. How are we monitoring people? How are we monitoring the disease itself? And when you have people coming from all different parts of the, of the country, all different parts of the world... There's not really a good chance to monitor. And then specifically with an event like the Arnold, where people are actually interacting and touching each other and sharing the same weights and equipment and stuff like that, it just creates a situation where you can't have this event and then all of a sudden next week, 30 people in Columbus, Ohio have the coronavirus. You know what I mean? And, and you, you definitely can't have that, especially Ohio's trying to protect itself right now because I think there have been zero cases, known cases so far in the mm-hmm. state. So you can't fault the governor for taking this step and these precautions, um, especially with something that isn't understood. And the truth is the mortality rate is low, but it is going up. Yeah, Um, it's going up. Exactly. It's actually now I read something today that it's actually more dangerous than the flu now. Right. When initially when it came out, they're saying it was less and now it's more. And so and again, as this thing continues to develop, more information starts to happen. For example, there have been people who have contracted the coronavirus, been treated for it, were quote-unquote symptom-free, left the hospital, and then days later, weeks later, they had it again. Yeah. I mean, that's that's there's just not enough that we know about it. And unfortunately, you know, some of these type of precautions are going to have to be taken, and people are going to have to deal with hopefully a short-term hit. And um, lifestyle changes, too. People definitely need to take precautions. Don't touch your face, wash your hands, hands, all those type of things. You and, know, and, and, and just be mindful and, and careful and don't don't say, oh, I don't give a fuck. Right. You know. Speaking of things happening in Ohio, actually, um, this is an interesting story coming out of Springfield. So there's a Kroger in a certain area in Ohio, in, in Springfield, Ohio, that that's closing. And as a result of that closing, there's going to be what they're calling a quote-unquote food drought in that area, meaning that a lot of the citizens in that area are not going to have access to groceries. So John Legend, who is from Springfield, um, he decided to offer essentially a free shuttle indefinitely for people to get from that area to another Kroger in another part of town. And then he's also working with the city on a more permanent solution. And it's crazy when you hear stuff like this, right? Because I think a lot of times when you live in big cities or, you know, if you're privileged enough to live in in certain areas, you're insulated from these type of discussions. You're not even thinking about, Oh, where am I going to buy food from? You know what I mean? Like, where we live, there's a giant eagle, a Kroger, and, you know, whatever, Costco, all competing with each other on the same corner. Uh, but these are real issues that people are dealing with. I mean, the there country. are a lot of um, economically depressed areas in America 
I mean, I've, I think Flint continues to have a water crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these things you say shouldn't be happening in America. And, and we both have friends who are from Springfield and mm-hmm. we know how economically challenged the area is um, and how many problems exist. Um, hopefully there's a solution, a solution. I'm glad that people like John Legend, who is from the area, are stepping up and doing what they can with their platform to make a difference. Yep. Shout out to John Legend. And, you know, he's an Ohio boy. We always rep him. And uh, speaking of actual kind of disasters, tornado hit downtown Nashville this, this past weekend. And I think it was obviously unexpected. It's crazy seeing all these different types of things that are happening across the country. It's, it's, it's sad, particularly because, you know, you can't predict something like that. And when it comes, it's very devastating. Mother Nature is not playing with us right now, and so I don't know what what they're trying to what it's trying to signal to us, but definitely gotta gotta get it together. Let's talk some music news. Um, Megan the Stallion. Oh my god! So this situation has gotten pretty messy. It's very public now. Um, essentially, she you know last week went on Instagram Live and she said that her label would essentially wouldn't let her release music because she wanted to renegotiate her contract that she said was unfair to her. Um, she actually sued the label in court uh, for damages, but also got uh, to get a temporary injunction, which she got, which which will allow her to release music. Um, her label owner was actually Carl Crawford, baseball, former baseball. Is he still? He's not. He's no, still he's still, retired. Okay. Retired baseball player. Um, and, you know, he's actually fought back out loud saying that, you know, a lot of the stuff that she's saying is untrue that she actually got a really good deal for a first-time artist and that they weren't blocking her from releasing music. Jay Prince has now gotten involved because he's also involved with, um, he's now a partner of Carl Crawford. And then Rock Nation is also involved because they're now Megan's new management team. So this is a messy situation. How do, how do you see it? Take a deep breath. I'm pretty familiar with this situation and I know how it, how it works because it's she's from Houston, Carl Crawford's from Houston, Jay Prince is from Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you, and you spent many years in Houston. Many years in Houston, and I know Jay Prince um, got a chance to know him and, and how he thinks about this business. Right. In particular, one of the things he always advised us about is how grimy and how cutthroat this industry is. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about um, from the labels to the artists, everybody is looking out for self and self-interest. Right. Um, and no one is looking at it from a perspective of what is the best of doing good business with good morals and good scruples. It's always short-sighted. Um, a lot of fans are familiar with the situation. So Megan signed a deal with Carl Crawford's 1501 label, um, and then signed and they are distributed by 300, which is Kevin Lyles. Um, and forget who Leor, else. Right. Leor Cohen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically they signed her when no one knew who she was. She was just a local artist. Um, they actually gave her an advance and and did a split, but Carl Crawford invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into Megan the stallion. Um, and then Megan the stallion, as soon as she got bubbling, um, here comes Jay-Z and rock nation saying, okay, how do we get a part of this? Right. To manage her, to manage her. So they signed her to a management contract and then basically started trying to create division because between Megan and the record label, because 
they probably want her on Rock Nation, mm-hmm. right? Rock Nation, the label. Label. Part, right. And so what's happening here is is Megan is an artist who doesn't understand how business works and therefore is getting pimped by a lot of different people. Um, when you talk about the fact that 1501 is getting a piece, 300 is getting a piece, Rock Nation is getting a piece, her explosion in in large part is due to the fact that a lot of people in the industry are making a lot of money off of her. Yeah. Um, and I'm not taking anything away so from he, her talent. Yeah. So here's, here's one thing I want to point out too about that is that, you know, a lot of people will say, well, she didn't read her contract. She should have read her contract. And that is true. Right. Um, but I do also realize that a lot of people, uh, you know, especially young people and young artists, they get into deals and not even just artists, regular people, people don't even read their credit card contract i saw someone say that today they're like you're paying fucking 23 percent on this new bmw that you just got you know and, and you're talking about she didn't People read the just contract shut it. the fuck up you know what i mean yeah, like they just want the, the a lot of a lot of us are getting into bad deals you know what i mean even yeah. smart people so I, I don't necessarily fault her just for that um but the other side of this thing which rarely gets mentioned and i mentioned this on twitter too is that you know these labels a lot of times invest a lot of money into artists Lots of money. and they lose and you don't hear about those situations. They lose on a lot of artists. In fact, it was, you know, and that's part of the reason why labels started shifting their business model where it was like, well, we're not investing in anyone that's not really a proven commodity. We're not doing that development shit anymore because we lost too much money on artists that looked apart, seemed the part, and then we put them out there. They, they flop. Success rate is low. It is. So I think that, um, you know, this is kind of a lesson for everybody involved, no matter what side you want to be in, whether you're the artist or whether you want to be in business. There's a lesson here to be learned on how to approach these situations. One is always have a lawyer, you know, and I know people say that all the time, but always have a lawyer or someone that really, really understands this game before you sign anything. I understand the excitement. I understand, you know, just you wanting to be on, but always have somebody kind of read over the contracts. And then the second thing is you kind of also understand the way the business that you're in works, you know, and the thing that I don't particularly like about what Megan's doing is her coming out publicly saying all this stuff. But, you know, she said, oh, because I want to renegotiate my contract. Well, renegotiate what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Did you want them to now take 5%? And yeah, no one's going to give you that. You know, so we don't have enough details, honestly. And she's made this a public situation. And she she took the first step of betraying her label by going and signing with Rock Nation as a manager for her management. That was it was just first. a shrewd move. Yeah. And the thing is, when you do shrewd business, you know, expect shrewd things to happen to you. So we'll see how that situation plays out. Um, obviously, like I said, it's very messy now. There are a lot of different parties involved. Probably won't go away anytime soon. Um, but, you know, that is kind of the nature it's of the, the nature business. of this business. Right. right? And, and speaking of that, it's crazy because three, six mafia, they're actually being sued over what uh, called what's called 150 acts of copyright infringement from different wow. producers and artists that they've worked with. Who knows how that's going to play out? First of all, 150 acts is a lot. It just sounds like this just sounds like one of those things that will probably settle at some point and will go away. But, um, you know, that's the thing about the music industry, man. There are a lot of different people are borrowing and sampling. You know, a lot of times people get in the studios together without agreements, without people split are looking sheets. For, a you lot know? of kids are looking for opportunity and they get taken advantage of because they have a talent. Right. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, I get to get in the studio with three six mafia. I get to get on a record. They're not thinking about how does the business side of this Well, work. and that's the thing is a lot of these situations happen very organically. You know how it is. We get yeah. in the studio, all of a sudden you're in the studio with Busy Bone, and you're like, oh, shit, I'm recording a record with Busy Bone. And you're not thinking about, okay, let's make sure that we have all of these split sheets signed before we start writing our verses. Like, that's very dis- can be disruptive to the process, you yeah. know? 
So a lot of people don't do that. And then also you don't necessarily know what song is going to pop. We've I've, How many songs have I recorded in my lifetime? <laughs> thousand? You know, <laughs> before last year, it was probably over a thousand songs that we that I've recorded. Yeah. You don't know which one of those songs is going to pop. I don't even remember who all the producers are in those songs. You know yeah. what I mean? And that and we're people who are fairly astute when it comes to this business. So you can see how um, those type of things happen. So we'll see how that ends up playing out. But it's just it goes to show how this you know until like, things make money that's the thing you and i have learned is that you may not see a problem but the moment that 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 situation starts making some money and generating that's revenue exactly right. that's when the disaster and then people's starts. memory starts getting cloudy about who yeah. contributed what and how much did someone write on this song and that so yes the, the again the advice is you know do your best to try to do it at the outset have split sheets in the studio i know it's disruptive to the process but it will save you a lot of heartache and it, and maybe if that starts to become the culture uh, more so, then it will become more natural for yeah. things like that. Because some of this stuff is actual theft. Right? Yeah, it for sure. A hundred percent. So speaking of, you know, music and big artists, man, <sighs> public enemy, man. You know, so for us, we, you know, we that's obviously one of the hip hop groups that we grew up on. Yeah. Chuck D is actually a fan of mine. Which is yeah. crazy, right? I mean, remember on social yeah. media a couple of years ago, we were like, what? Like, you know, he was posting about me and all that type of stuff, um, and which was like a kind of a dream come true just for us as people who grew up. And um, now Flavor Flav has been kicked out officially a public enemy. Um, initially, the reports were that because, you know, Chuck D wanted to support Bernie Sanders and perform at his rally. Flavor Flav was not with that. Um that is part of the story, but then Chuck D came out later and basically said that that was only one of that was kind of the last straw for them. Um, basically, that Flav has been on essentially on probation, basically with the group since 2016, not showing up to various events and kind of you know doing other stuff. And so now this was kind of the last straw. To me, this is one of the reasons why I never wanted to be in a group. Yeah. <laughs> I never wanted to be in a in a, in a hip hop group or any type of group because of these type of differences, right? So I think neither one of them is wrong. If, if Chuck D's in his heart that he wants to support a certain candidate, I think he has the right as a citizen to do so and feel that way. Um, but, and same thing with Flavor Flav, if he doesn't want to do that, he also has that equal and same right. But then when you're in a group, and not just a group, but you also have a brand, right, mm -hmm. that's been built over 30 years, 40 years, that makes things a little more messy. And then I think also it's like, the competitive nature of human beings like look they all had a role in making public enemy what public enemy is mm -hmm. um and then you know once you start having differences one person says no i'm the reason we did this this and that and then the other says no i'm the reason uh my personality is the reason the public enemy and the truth is everyone in that group had a role and you just wish that people could could be reasonable and get along but money and power and all this stuff divides people man. 100 percent, and so we'll see how it plays out but it's, it's it's sad to see speaking of money and power which you just mentioned apple has agreed to pay as much as 500 million dollars in settlements for deliberately slowing down people's iphones and it's crazy because we've had this conversation years ago while our iphones were being slowed down yeah, <laughs> like what like, the fuck every is time going on? every you time know? a new iphone comes out the last iphone slows down yeah so they yeah. reached that settlement and you know it's, i'm happy to hear that because it's, it's bullshit what they're doing man people pay a lot of money for these products and i understand capitalism but at a certain point it becomes more than capitalism it becomes bullying it becomes greed it becomes taking advantage of psychology making people feel like they have to have the newest thing that has one new feature and it's a yeah. thousand new dollars like the average person doesn't have that so if i buy a fucking phone today it shouldn't be slower next year because you're just because of capitalism that's bullshit 
You yeah, know? it is. It is complete bullshit, and it, it goes to it goes to show you too that this stuff really does happen. Yeah, and, and businesses are ruthless, um, and that's why Apple is one of the most valuable companies in the world. But one thing I will say is, if you are one of those shrewd and frugal people who doesn't buy a new iPhone every time a new iPhone comes out, you might be able to get a small check from Apple. Look into it. Cool. Let's talk some sports news. Uh, let's talk some Ohio State stuff. Um, first of all, let's talk some Ohio State football. Unfortunately, Master Teague, who's set to be the you know RB1 for Ohio State this fall, suffered an injury the other day in spring practice. Um, the good news is that uh, coach – Coaches announced that he should be good for the fall, you know, but if it's an Achilles, who knows how that's going to play out. Right. And even if he comes back, whether he's going to have the same level of explosion and he is a guy that is, you know, more of a downhill runner. He's not a, necessarily a make you miss guy. So he needs to have as much, you know, yeah, Crowley's out too, right? Crowley's still out. So is this McCall time? Are we going to finally start to see some <laughs> Demario McCall? Well, I think that's, that's kind of where I was going to go with this, you yeah. know, they're saying, oh, yeah, Ohio State has a running back problem. The, tr- the truth is there are a bunch of guys on this roster who haven't either gotten the opportunity or haven't proven themselves with the opportunity that they've gotten. This is your opportunity. Step into it. Mm-hmm. Make something happen Steel for yourself. Steel Chambers is there. Yep. Um, I mean, I guess Jalen. I mean, they can move people around. And this offense, I mean, what end up might end up happening is that this offense becomes just air raid. You know, we'll see. So we'll see what happens, but you know, like you said, Ohio State has a lot of talented guys. The fields can there's, run too. So there's also a right. guy I think in the transfer portal right now from Penn State, who was a I think a four star, five star recruit who is is leaving because basically there's a rotation going on in Penn State. So maybe Ohio State will be aggressive and and going. There's after some him. other big time guy. I forget his name. Right? Has he chosen a school yet? Uh, he was like the number one overall running back last year or something. I'm not sure. Okay. So we'll see. I mean, I'm sure Ohio State's going to be aggressive with that. And then speaking of Ohio State, dominated Michigan again in basketball. This is crazy. This is, you know, it's one of the things that started to happen as Ohio State started to kick Michigan's ass in football consistently was that Michigan started to get better in basketball. And so Michigan then started, fans started to kind of shift to like, okay, well, we're a basketball school now, basically. And we, you know, we go to the Final Four and we do this. And now Ohio State, with all its problems that it's had in this season, is now dominating Michigan too in basketball. It's it's funny and I love I mean, it. Chris Holtman is a great coach, um, and we're building a program. And it's interesting how this thing works. We heard about John Beeline getting fired with the Cavs, but he was a big reason why Michigan basketball came back. And it's, it's always interesting to see a guy who's a great college coach go to the NBA and not be able to succeed. And Michigan now has Jawan Howard. Obviously, he's in his first year, hoping for the best for for him. Um, I like him, even though I'm not a fan of Michigan, and I, I do want him to keep his job. Right? What's the ceiling for for Ohio State basketball this year? Anyone can win this tournament, man. Yeah. Anyone can win this tournament. You know, I've gotten a chance to watch Dayton play too, mm-hmm. and <laughs> Dayton has a real shot to yeah. to, to to win this thing. Anyone it seems wide win. open this year. Yeah. Wide open this year. Some of the traditional powerhouses aren't aren't relevant, and then even the teams that are you know, are, are at the top, they're vulnerable. They're, they're losing. And the even. tournament is chaotic yeah. as well. And so the Big Ten, I think, honestly, is a gauntlet, and I think it's really going to prepare uh, us and everyone else in that conference for the tournament. You know, I think these are the toughest teams in the country. So, yeah, they are. So we'll, we'll see how that works. Uh, let's talk some more basketball. NBA, man, what's going on with Giannis and Harden? <laughs> There's like a, a dispute happening between them that's just weird. Uh, and it's funny because I actually like both of those guys in different ways. 
What's your think? What's your thoughts on it? Well, I think there's a this issue started when Giannis won the MVP and Harden felt like he deserved it. Mm-hmm. Um, Harden is a guy who's always going to speak his mind about how he feels about how he's viewed from an individual standpoint. That's just who he is. Right. Um, it's what makes him such a great individual player. Um, but you know, and I guess Giannis said something about kind of tongue in cheek saying that the reason he drafted, um, drafted Kemba Walker on the all-star team versus James Harden is because Kemba was actually going to pass him the ball. Right. Harden (laughs) took offense to that and said, any seven footer that's athletic can just run it. I wish I could just run up and down the court and dunk the ball. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, you put your foot in your mouth a little bit because anybody who watches Giannis play knows that he's pretty much the best player on the best team in the NBA right, right. now. Right, and he's a lot more than that, right? He's yes. Effort he plays guy. defense. He plays defense. He, you yeah, know. so Harden, Harden just needs to, to focus on winning playoff series. That will The rest of it will take care of it itself if he can beat the Clippers or if he can beat the Lakers in the playoffs. Yeah. That will do more for his legacy than getting mad at, at other players. All right. Uh, speaking of NBA, the uh, Knicks and Spike Lee, this, this situation is weird. Essentially, Spike Lee – was at a game the other day. He was trying to go in the employee entrance, which he said he's been going in for the last 20 years. Uh, unbeknownst to him, J- James Dolan, the owner, uh, the Knicks basically made a new rule change that you know he could no longer go through the employee entrance, that he had to go through some VIP entrance and some other thing. And he, he essentially embarrassed Spike. Uh, it actually got on video somehow. I don't know who took the video. And now Spike Lee's feuding with them, saying he's not going to any Knicks games for the rest of the season. What are your thoughts on that story? The dumpster fire that is the Knicks, right? First of all, it's these are these are rich people's problems, right? Right. right. Two two really rich guys. Having, he said he pays three hundred thousand dollars a yeah, year. Three hundred thousand dollars a year. And did you see the PR statement that they put out? <laughs> yeah. What the? That had to have been written by some intern that will never have a job but again. There's something seriously wrong with James Dolan and the culture of the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he's got a lot of money, um, and he owns the team. Um, and then, you know, no one's really going to necessarily feel sorry for Spike in this situation. But, you know, you part of what makes an organization great is treating your VIPs well and with respect. And Spike has, you know, done a lot for that organization. And Absolutely. To be I mean, somebody said this and, you know, multiple people have said this is that when you think of the Knicks, one of the first things you think of is Spike Lee. And Spike Lee is a person who has stayed the course as a fan, even if you believe some of it is self-serving. He's paying $300,000 a year, and he stayed the course as a fan even when they were winning 12 and 20 games a season. And he yeah. was always there night in, night out. So, Could you imagine the Cavs or Browns doing this to Jim Brown? No, like, it's a petty fight, too. Yeah. Like People could say, oh, he feels privileged. He shouldn't be going through the employee entrance. You know, If they want to change it, it's okay. But it's like, no, it's a bullshit petty fight. The, like the with someone fact who pays that him. it became a public spat with yeah. the, the relationship that these guys have is sad to see. Like it this is. is something you have. And they to already did, you know, they already Oakley. have beef with Oakley. I mean, these are some of the legends that are associated with the Knicks. And Knicks are just a horrible organization. I'm just yeah. very glad. I lived in New York for a long period of time. I'm very glad I was That's why never, no one goes there. Never a fan. Uh last thing, Marshawn Lynch. A couple things happening with him, but I know you wanted to shout him out. <laughs> I always love talking about Marshawn Lynch. Mm-hmm. Um he is about to speak um at Princeton. Yeah, there were some protests. I heard some of the kids were protesting. They're, they're, they're protesting. They, they, well, they make, protest everything. everything yeah, they protest everything. Nowadays. So mm-hmm. they said that they weren't involved in the decision-making process. But regardless, I 
love Marshawn Lynch and love the fact that he's being recognized by an institution like Princeton for the things that he's done with his career on and off the field. He's a branding genius. Yep. Um, he also trademarked the um, take care of your chicken. Oh, he, did he? He filed a trademark <laughs> for that. And he's also going to be on a really good show, Westworld, which he's getting rave reviews on. He's making his acting debut. So Marshawn Lynch is, is definitely a guy that young athletes should look to on how to navigate your career and think about what's next. For sure. Shout out to Marshawn. And I guess one last piece of just kind of pop culture news. Mike Bloomberg dropped out of the presidential race. They said he spent $528 million, uh just since he entered trying to win. I think he maybe got some delegates in American Samoa. But I think that his impact. So, you know, there, there are a couple ways that you can look at it. You know, um, somebody on Twitter, I think it was Matt Fink, said to me, he said, imagine if he had put all that money in charity. But he also earned that money and he earned the right to do whatever he wants to do with it. And then another person also jumped in and said, well, yeah, maybe it's a waste, but he did stimulate. There are people who benefited from the fact that Biden he put benefited that money. tremendously from him, and not yeah. just the political. I'm talking about the economy yeah. being stimulated yeah, by that, that much people money. People got jobs. People got jobs. People got paid. Yeah. Um, there is there are two sides. I mean, I hear people who say he could he could put money into charity, but if you study Mike Bloomberg, one thing he does um, do is give a lot of money to charity and for causes. So this is something separate. Um, it, but it also goes to show you how much money is involved in politics. You know what I mean? The fact that they're the decision makers on on yeah. policies. So if you're somebody with money and you want to influence the policy making, whether there's a big difference between candidates owning owning the office, there is mm-hmm. it just is, and and policy is driven by this as well. And and the truth is that um, Bloomberg believed that spending the money to get his political belief was to spend the money was worth it to make sure that the opponent. Um, yeah. I don't think he win. regrets it. And I bet he would, you know, if he had to do it all over again, he would probably do it again. And he's going to keep spending money on, on the democratic party as he did, as he's, he's done for the last few years. He's going to support Joe Biden with a lot of money. Yeah. All right. That's all we have for news and notes. You're listening to the pilot boys podcast. Listening to the Pilot Boys podcast, we are here with our resident college football insider Zach Smith and podcast host of Minnesota Sports. Welcome to the show, Zach. Zach, what's up? Always a pleasure, fellas. So we want to jump right into some some topics, uh, particularly because the NFL Combine happened this past week. There are obviously a lot of Ohio State guys that were invited um, that are always invited every year. Some of them had showings that were in, were expected. You know, Jeffrey Okuda you know, jumped out the gym, so to speak, and it Chase Young declined to participate. 
the almost all the, all the receivers participated, and you know, Davon Hamilton, a couple other guys. Don't forget also, about Joe Burrow. Also, got, yeah, Joe Burrow <laughs> declined. Uh, also got involved, but I just want to get your thoughts, kind of, on the combine, specifically as it pertains, kind of, to receivers, because you know, some of the guys, you know, Austin Mack, KJ Hill, Benjamin Victor, they didn't run as fast, right? Particularly from the forty perspective, they didn't run as fast as what we're used to seeing from Ohio State receivers. But I still think those guys are, are going to be very productive. What are your thoughts on kind of the combine itself and um, and how these guys ultimately performed and wh- whether it will affect their kind of draft stock? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I have a very unique and, pr- and probably unpopular opinion of the combine. Um, I, I believe it is just the NFL's newest opportunity to exploit athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it provides very little to – very little. I won't say none. Very little evaluative purposes. Um, and, and, and I can give you a couple of reasons why, but but – I think that the greatest evidence of this is the fact that one, there was two teams that decided not to go. Mm. Think about that. Right. There's only 32 teams. Right. Two of them said, nah, we're good. We're not going to go. That's interesting. Patriots were Patriots. Uh, I yes. can't remember the Belichick, team. Belichick was, yeah, Belichick was down at like, like Middle Tennessee some or some community so. college. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just think about right. that. Right. Think about like, that's crazy. Yeah. If you step back and take, take the, what you know, the NFL and the game to be about like, that'd be like, if you said, all right, there's 32 companies in this huge industry and we have this place where we all meet to find the next great CEOs yeah. and two companies are like, yeah, we're good. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> right. well, obviously there's not a lot of value in this. Right, right? right, but it's also evidence when the NFL changes the whole schedule, screws up everyone's timeline and days. Mm, the, yeah. the athletes, the scouts, everyone. Why to put it on primetime TV? Yep. Yeah, so you're not paying any of these guys it, for it, it either. No, and it's a meat market to make money, and that's mm. that's all it is. And and the, the greatest evidence of this, and I can speak to this because I would consider myself an expert, or at least close to an expert, on receiver play. Yeah, and uh, a couple of things, and, and I mentioned on my show. I know you guys, I think, already talked about it. But you look at forty times, and forty times are the the least, uh, the least predictive. I guess predictive uh, attribute of a of a receiver mm-hmm. outside of an absolute forty yard vertical route, which is first of all is a rare skill to ask a kid to do. You right. don't see Michael Thomas do that a lot. Yeah. Um, but a ten yard split, it should be all about ten yards. Mm-hmm. Like how fat? What's his ten like? Because yeah. football is a ten yard game. Right. But even worse than that, you'd say, ah, but but whatever. They do it to test speed, right? Mm-hmm. But the drills are important. The routes they run at the combine, they run two post corners and a red zone fade. <laughs> Think about that. Right. Yeah. Right. Like Tyreek right. Hill. Like how many times a game are you running those? Yeah. How many times does Tyreek <laughs> right. Hill run a post corner or right. a red zone fade? Right. Yeah. He's one of the most impactful players in the NFL, right? right. Yeah. And it just blows my mind. We're not going to like, why not run an 18 yard curl or a 20 yard in cut or something where you could see a guy and actually evaluate him. Right. So it's because it's not an evaluation event it's not as much as they want it to be what's cool like vertical jump is another one it's like yeah yeah, i mean it shows me a little bit how explosive a guy is but i'd rather watch broad jump i'd rather see a one-step vertical like the nba does Mm. because that's what's important like when a kid's running how high can he jump right he's not just standing there like hey throw me the right like literally okay a hail mary that's the only (laughs) time that a standing vertical matters right yeah and there's what if if you have a 10-year career you might be involved in one right right (laughs) so um I think it's a completely outdated event, but now it's become a media, uh, a, a financial market for yeah. the NBA. It's just an yeah, event that I, they can make money on. Right. And I think you mentioned on your podcast, uh, I think you had a list of like top 10 receivers. 
and most of them didn't have plays. Oh, well, times. and you know, of course, I'm going to go a little defensive mode because those are three of my guys. I coached them for three years. I yeah. recruited all three of them, mm-hmm. and it's like we're going to talk about Austin Mack uh, didn't run well because he ran a four five nine. It's like, right. well, I, I coached a kid that ran a four five seven that's doing all right in the mm-hmm. NFL. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he led the NFL in every statistical category. Yeah. 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 And KJ's the one that really pisses me off. KJ's never been fast. Right. Yeah. Ever. That's not part of his. And he's dominated everyone he's played. Yeah. And like, and he's going to do it in the NFL. Yeah. He's quick. He has great body control. He has good acceleration. He's got great ball skills. He's right. smart as shit. He knows how to use his body. Things that actually matter. Yeah. And it's right. like, oh, he's a 460. No shit. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. I think some of the, I don't know if it's disappointment or some of the, you know, talk about it is probably not. Necessarily based on these guys' skill set, more so of kind of like what you've seen from Ohio State receivers in the past, right? Like what you saw from Terry McLaurin and what you've seen from even guys like Johnny Dixon, you know, yeah. these are four, 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 three. And then you see these guys running, you know, four, fives, and four, six. But I, I don't think it's ac- an accurate reflection, like you said, of their actual skill set. Well, 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 what happens at the combine, right, is every year there's one or two guys who run that sub four, three, 40 that all of a sudden their graph stock jumps up like mm-hmm. rugs this year. I think he's Remember more to do Kevin Wilson from, I think West Virginia or not Kevin. Was it Kevin? Was it, what's the guy from West Virginia that went to the bears? He was drafted seventh. Oh three yeah. Years ago. Kevin, yeah. Kevin white, Kevin white. Yeah. Where is he? Right. John Ross. I mean, John Ross started to have a pretty good year, but I mean, they fall in love with that stuff so much well, it, and they end up missing on a guy like Michael. Thomas. No doubt. And, it, and I, what I've said a couple of times since the combine and during it was like, what's Bill Belichick's 40. <laughs> it's, it's about as relevant, right? right? Yeah. And, and and just speaking on Ohio State's receiver core, obviously that's what I know best. That's where I can provide the most insight. I mean, it, people want to knock the Big Ten or knock Ohio State. Like they had some 4-6, four, four, high 4-5 four, receivers in this draft, and it shows that Ohio State is slow. It's a position group now. It's an entire group. So how fast – was Michael Thomas's class, him, Jalen Marshall, Evan Spencer. Devin Smith was the caveat, but right. most of them were high four or five guys. Right. Yeah. And so what did we need to do? We needed to, to inject some speed. So we went out the next class and got Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon right. to inject speed. And then it was like, all right, those guys are leaving. What do we need now? We need bigger bodies. We need guys with great ball skills that maybe can't run as fast. So then you get Austin Mack, KJ Hill. And it's like, well, who's coming up the ranks? I promise you, Jamison Williams, when he runs a 40, is going to yeah. be really, really fast. <laughs> right. yeah. Chris right. Olave is going to run really, really fast. Yeah. 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 Because it, it it's an entire team, right? And you're looking That's at three guys point. like, oh, the whole team's slow. Like, no, That's I don't know. Point. Yeah, know. I don't think the average person under, kind of understands. And they're no. different, and they're different skill sets at every position, right? You, like you said, there's a possession receiver. You have the deep threat. So when teams are evaluating these guys, what need does your team need? And which need do each of these guys fill? If you need a possession receiver, go get KJ Hill. Go get Austin Mack. Mm-hmm. If you need a big-bodied receiver, go get Benjamin Victor at some point in the draft, right? right. And, you know, this is a part of the reason why, like, the Patriots keep running circles around people. Yeah, they don't win every year, but that, they don't have to win every year for this point to be true. Their evaluation of talent, like you, we mentioned earlier, Bill Belichick wasn't even at the combine. He was, like, literally somewhere. Yeah, middle Tennessee State or somewhere. T- somewhere like that. <laughs> evaluating some guy that wasn't even at the at the draft. But they're able to – K.J. Hill, for example, is a guy that you could easily see on the Patriots, right? Oh, yeah. Even Austin, you could see him on the Patriots. That's the reason why Belichick continues to run circles around guys is because people are, you know, people are focused on the wrong thing. There are a lot of really bad coaches and evaluators and scouts in the NFL, and Belichick is really good. And so that's why the separation is so huge is because it's like – He's you know, laughing. You know, if I would love to talk to Belichick one day, like in a private moment, 
And he, I, you know he's laughing at some of the things if, that he sees happen. And if you evaluate how Belichick operates, right, he has great relationships with the people who really matter. Mm. If you really want to evaluate a college kid, go talk to the coaches at the program that they played for, the strength coach, oh. the head coach, the position coach. Mm. You're going to get more knowledge from them than you're going to get from bringing a kid out to Indianapolis for a week and putting him in, in a meat market where he's already under a lot of stress because to evaluate to evaluate the player. You're going to get more information from someone who's observed them for four, three, four years, right? right. And, and and the reality is, and I promise you I could talk about this for an hour, so I won't, <laughs> but the reality is you're talking about what is the importance of a 40-yard dash. It's literally only for a 40-yard vertical route. Yeah. How many people that run 4-4-0 can separate from the corners in the NFL that run 4-3-8? None. Yeah. So what is important on a 40-yard vertical route? Body positioning, yes. body control, and ball skills. ball skills. So what are we talking about? Yeah. Tyreek Hill, like yeah. John Ross. Those are guys that you're like, yeah, they're going to be able to create separation. Right. So outside of the five that are in the NFL that can do that, yeah. it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's about how you can position your body, how you how you attack the ball, how you catch the ball. And we've like, also seen guys who run that fast but don't have any ball skills. So oh, it doesn't even matter. Right. Like Tyreek Hill, that's the thing that people – and I think um, – who was it that was the first one to talk about this? It was either maybe Randy Moss or – Deion Sanders, one of those guys who was talking about Tyreek Hill, uh, and they were saying how he's actually a good receiver, right? Or right. Chris Carter, it was Chris Carter actually. Like he's not just, you know, a speed guy. He actually has all the other intangibles. And, he knows how to run routes. He has good ball skills. Those are the things. And that I think that's why people are so excited about Ruggs is that he has the forty time, and it seems well, like he has some he, receiver skills. There's no he. So he has the forty time, and here's the. And I talked about it on my last show. Here's the stat that no one ever talks about that I think is so important in receiver evaluation. Hand size. Yeah. Michael, Michael Thomas. Thomas ten and a half inch hand. Right. Yeah. And to your point about Henry Ruggs, he had a ten and one eighth inch hand. Mm. And, and I was looking at the same list on 40 times. Mike, ten and a half inches. Jarvis Landry, ten and a quarter inches. Odell, ten inches. Yep. DeAndre Hopkins, ten These inches. Keenan Allen, ten inches. Yeah. It's all the top receivers. Uh, and, and none and, of them and none you of could them, take none Julio of them and throw him out. Right. He's the only one with the blazing forty time. And he and he's the only one with under a ten inch hand. So right. we just don't want to talk yeah, about him because he's such a freak of nature. Yeah, yeah. But you look at some of these and, and that's not gonna help my case for my guys that were in the combine because they were all like nine and three quarters, nine and a half inch hands. Right. But I think for a receiver, that's huge because yeah. the surface area touching the ball. Yeah. And I, like I said, I could go on for hours about that. But so, so let's transition a little bit too, then into uh, you know Ohio State, right? So obviously, you know, spring ball is about to is kicked is kicked off, and now you know we're talking about the combine. Ohio State losing a lot of guys, but like people say, Ohio State doesn't rebuild; it reloads. Now we have a whole new you know group of guys that are going to come in that are going to essentially be household names at some point. So two things: uh, one is Talk to us about some of the young receivers. You mentioned Jamison Williams, who you think you know are going to be on the radar next year. And then secondly, what does Ohio State do now about their running back situation, given the fact that Master Teague is hurt, um, even though they're saying he might be back by the season. And Crowley's hurt, too. And Crowley is also hurt. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, so my opinion, and, and people call me an Ohio State homer. My show has a national audience, and people constantly call me an Ohio State homer. So I'm going to piss off my homer people, I guess. Mm -hmm. But – I think Ohio State has a major issue at running back with Master Teague healthy. Mm. I really do. Mm. I think he's a good quality back. Yeah. I don't think he's a great elite national back. Mm. I don't. And so uh, to answer their issues, 
with him healthy, I think they need to get one of these guys you you guys were talking about earlier in the transfer portal. Yeah. Whether it's the kid Samson James that's, that's at Indiana, was once an Ohio State commit. They have a kid Ricky Slade Ricky out of Penn Slate, State. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they already missed out on Lorenzo Lingard, the kid from Miami who's going to go to Florida. So I think that they need a different body. They need a better player. They just really do. And I, I don't like to say that because yeah. I, I, I think they've recruited decent there. Yeah. But I think running back's a major concern. And I know that the feeling is not just in my – body or head yeah. i know other people echo that <laughs> right um that people that matter yeah do you, do you think the scheme and and overall philosophy is going to change with that with that with if, what they we, if they don't get it corrected uh yeah i think they're gonna have to throw the shit on the ball and the good thing is that with a master teague uh he's, he was the best running back in pass pro last year anyway so mm-hmm. if, if this is if this is the direction that they're gonna have to hand one, head one ryan day has the the brain for it he has a schematic mind yeah he has the pass playbook to go do it yeah. right they have the quarterback to do it they have the receivers to do it and and so i think that that there's definitely an option there so do you uh, think that they're scrambling over there like i mean they're not going to ever say it publicly but do you think behind the scenes there's a little bit of a scramble or a panic oh there's a huge panic in the run game i guarantee it uh yeah. just and and the reality is this and i faced it my entire career uh, with even my players, is Master Teague will go into the season as a starting running back, have a really good games against some average opponents, and it, it'll never rear its head until it matters. Mm. And then you'll see it, you'll be like, wow, he, he doesn't have the breakaway speed, he doesn't have the acceleration, he's just a big bruiser that's a really good player. Yeah. Are there are there any guys on the roster who may have not gotten an opportunity yet that if they put it together could become become something as well? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that you're going to see – uh, some dominant players emerge, and I think that Chris Olave is one of them. I think Garrett Wilson has a chance to be. He's still young. Uh, people, are, I think, jumped way out ahead of his curve, but it certainly could happen because he has the skill. I think uh, Jeremy Ruckert is a guy that, that really mm. could become a, a, a national name. Especially in today's offense. Oh, what, especially. What, what is it about Chris Olave that makes him so good? Because he was kind of an under-recruited guy coming in. What has he done? to make himself as great as his potential and his ceiling is now. Um, I, he's just really efficient with his body and he's very explosive and he's got, he's, he tracks a deep ball. Well, he yeah. tracks a football in general. Well, and he is, he was a guy that I always, I always liked to look for. He's a six foot six, one guy. But when you have a guy like that, a six, one guy, that's a little bit slight, right? Maybe not just like yeah. a Julian Fleming looking right. NFL athlete right now. Yeah. You always say when you cut on his film or watch him practice, like, does he play big? And that's what I think Chris Olave does. He plays bigger than he is. Yeah. He's not overly physical, but he's uh he's just a really dynamic player. And right. he has a burst, man. He has a crazy burst yeah. and speed yeah. that you can't teach. Right. And so I'm I'm excited to watch him in what, I guess his third year that, that should be really fun to watch. His last year, by the way. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His, let's watch him in his uh his final send off. Right. And then one one last thing too on on the receivers. Uh Ryan Day when he was Asked about the young receivers that came in, you know, Mookie Cooper, G, uh, G. Scott, uh, you mentioned Julian Fleming and, uh, and Jigba. He said that they all are showing great flashes. They, they all can, can play. play. Yeah. They all can play. Yeah. that's. And so- I will say that, the, the, that from what I heard about the first practice to my prediction, obviously a little early to, to pound my chest and say it's true, but G. Scott was probably the most polished and, and looked like the one that might be ready to play – earlier than anyone else which again first practice you can take that for what it's worth with no pads on but i just had to kind of shout myself out there yeah yeah yeah. but it looks like they're all it looks like they all might have a shot to play this everybody that that i talked to said that all four impressed Mm. and that's that's rare 
It's rare that you sign four highly touted guys. It's even rarer that all four show up on the football field and you say, yep, it seems check, like check, 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 check. It seems like they've really figured out what they're looking for and they found the guys that, that fit that profile. Yeah. yeah, and Hartline does a great job. He did it in recruiting of identifying them and just going to get them. Yeah. Like just, he, he does a great job with identification, I think is huge. Yeah, and one, one last thing on this and then uh, we'll let you go. Uh, we talked about this before, like many shows back with you, about how do you satisfy, a, like when you have a position group, for example, that's that deep, right? Because we just talked about the freshmen. We didn't mention, you know, Jamison Williams and, you know, some of Jalen Gill, some of these other guys that are on the roster that are also very talented. And then now you have this transfer portal, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you even manage that? How do you even you know, is that something that you think about? Like, I got to keep these guys happy before, or someone's going to jump in the portal? Or do you literally just coach and just say whatever the fuck happens? Well, happens. Um, and not to not to put anyone's business out there, but I, a couple players that I've talked to said it, the transfer portal really changed how guys coach. Yeah. And um, it's sad. I'm, I'm, I mean, I thank God every day that I got out before this nonsense mm. because I think the feedback that I got was that um, – that it's hard for coaches to coach hard now. Yeah. And it's, it's sad right. because it, it, that hinders development yeah. it, and it would, it really, it really hinders the unit cohesion, the development of a group. Right. Because it, there's something about going through adversity together that makes you a stronger group, you yeah. know? And uh, so I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> fortunately, I guess, I don't know what it's like to have to kind of tiptoe and walk on eggshells with some of these kids. Right. Uh, it would be my contention to not do that and just, well, the good thing is what you guys, when you were when you were coaching and even now they six six receivers six receivers are in the rotation. So oh yeah, there are a lot of. I mean, guys are getting on the field. It's not like they're like the only three guys that are playing. Yeah, we're, just what you're never going to have at the receiver position uh, with the style of offense. You're not going to have a Blitnikoff Award winner. You're yeah. not going to have some crazy stats. I, I, Michael Thomas is a great example. Even Paris Terry. All the mm-hmm. all the names that you're watching play in the NFL and do right. really well. Right. They never had the, the stats because there's, you play so many guys and so many guys touch the ball. Yeah. Just, and and I would imagine. They were, they sold these guys on what Olave and Wilson were able to do early on. Like if you're good enough and you show you can play, we will play you. Yeah. And, and look at these and guys. You don't have, have to have Bolitnikov numbers to go first yeah. round or even no. second round. That's the other thing that has shown through the past drafts of Ohio no State doubt. as well. And and the good thing about Ohio State is is they're going to have some. I'd hate to call them warm up games, but they got a they got a nice schedule to play some guys and yeah. get them some experience. Cause experience is huge. I and mean, then I, now you can play what four games and, and still red shirt. Red shirt. Yeah. So I might, I might s- play a lot of Olave and Garrett Wilson against Oregon maybe. Right, right. But other than that, just kind of roll guys out there and let yeah. them play, let them learn, let them make mistakes. Cause right. it's going to help you at the end of the season. Yeah. No, that's great. No, thanks. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward, obviously the spring ball. I think Ohio state fans have a lot to look forward to. There's a lot of, I think when you have young guys that you've been hearing about, you know, that, that, creates for an exciting thing. Obviously, Ohio State always has 100,000 people at their spring game. Yeah, and the guys that are really elite are coming into the season with a, with a chip on their shoulder as well. Yeah. So that that's going to make for a very competitive spring. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. Before we know it, the season will be here. Yeah, <laughs> Thank God. All right. No, thanks, Zach. That was great. Thanks for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. You guys can check out Zach Smith's podcast. It's called Menace to Sports. It's available everywhere, and you can follow him at Coach Zach Smith on Instagram and Twitter. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guests, Christina Hovestat and Zach Smith. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music and V is at Viswant. Always remember, be you. 
you is fly. Pilot Boys out. Where the Pilot Boys at? Pilot Boys, we